So first of all, we would just really like to welcome all of you to IMS and hope that you've felt welcomed. And just to introduce us, um, somewhat traditionally at IMS in the summertime at this time, it's the retreat of the unusual accents. <laughs> so this is Fred von Amen from Switzerland. This is Janai Postelnik from really quite a number of places, actually. And my name's Christina. Um, many familiar faces here and a very warm welcome back. It's really lovely to see you. And I, I also know that some of you are new at least to IMS, if not to meditation. And I just hope that you will feel quite at home here. We'll feel quite relaxed here. We'll feel quite at ease here. So this evening we want to just give a little bit of an overview of the retreat. And we're very aware that many of you have traveled to get here. You've also been through quite a lot of induction about being here. And at the moment your mind might be swimming with information. Um, so we will be a little bit brief this evening, and as the retreat goes on, of course, we'll talk much more about the practice and about the instructions and about the teaching. So this evening, just to give a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a scaffold for what we do here. Now, it will become apparent to you that much of the days here the on retreat will be dedicated to some fairly formal and sustained practice. As we do this, which is so beneficial for all of us, as we do this and undertake this, it is also really important to remember that the Buddha didn't just teach formal meditation. It's important to remember that really the essence of the Buddha's teaching <coughs> was really the cultivation of an awakened life. In that cultivation, formal meditation plays a very important part. But of course, what the Buddha was concerned about with was not just what we do on a sit, on a cushion or in our walking path, but how this gets embodied in our speech, our relationships, our actions, our choices, in which the understandings that are really nurtured in formal practice are embodied in an insightful, a compassionate life that is equally concerned with, of course, the world around us, everyone we interface with, the kind of world that we live in, there are two Pali words in Pali. Pali was the language in which the early teachings of the Buddha were first recorded. And there are two words. You will hear us through the retreat actually referring to Pali words quite a number of times probably. And this is not because we're endeavoring to make anyone a Pali scholar. 
but it's simply because we often have very inadequate English translations of some of the Pali words. But two words I would like to just touch upon briefly this evening, which have something very, very much to do with what we're doing here over these days. The first of these words, and I will explain them, the first of these words is bhavana, and the second of these words is kusala. Now, bhavana in Pali really refers to the whole spectrum of meditative trainings, all the different ways that we, we learn to collect ourselves, to focus, to investigate. Really, it means to cultivate or to bring into being. So what we are cultivating or bringing into being, of course, is our capacity to be wakeful, to be mindful, to be present, to be curious, to be kind, to be compassionate, to care. The other word that I, I would like to touch upon this evening is, is this word in Pali, which is kusala which translates as ennobling, that which ennobles our life, that which brings dignity, integrity, collectedness, poise, all that which ennobles our hearts, our minds. So when we look at this word bhavana, to cultivate, what is it that we're cultivating here on retreat? It's actually quite useful to reflect on that. But what we are cultivating here in our practice is all that which gladdens our hearts, all that which leads to abiding peace, that leads to freedom. We actually are cultivating the ennobling qualities of heart and mind, of compassion, of generosity, of patience, all of the qualities that enable us to be really a conscious participant in the world that we live in, an awake participant in the world that we live in moment to moment. Now, when we hear, I've, I find that many people in the West, when they hear the word ennobling, kind of sounds a bit pretentious, doesn't it? We might think noble, ennobling, you know, and just kind of trying to stay awake, you know, and, and we're talking about ennobling. But personally, I think it is actually really helpful to, to somewhat naturalize this word. Because when you see how much it's used in this path and this teaching, you know, it, everything we do here kind of revolves around the four ennobling truths. Understanding what causes distress, you know, understanding what even distress and, and, and struggle is, and just the ennobling truth of the end of struggle and alienation, and the ennobling path to its end, which, you know, really is a path that includes the whole of our lives. We talk about noble silence. It's actually not really so pretentious. Something that I have always deeply appreciated about this path and this teaching, and, and I think is actually the great genius of the Buddha, is that the Buddha's teaching is always built upon something 
upon qualities and understandings that all of us have had glimpses of in our lives. So when the Buddha taught, he wasn't talking about some sort of, you know, exotic, esoteric states and realms and experiences that just leave us sitting there puzzled. Instead, the Buddha talks about building upon and cultivating what we have already tasted in our lives. And I think all, all of us probably, no matter how briefly, have had a taste of the landscape of kindness, of compassion, of generosity. I think probably all of us in our lives have had glimpses of peace, of intimacy, of happiness. Perhaps we've been fortunate to come across really more exceptional moments of stillness, of an intuition of spaciousness and vastness and wonder. And I think no matter how brief those glimpses have been in our lives, they touch us quite deeply because they are a taste of possibility. They are a taste of the possibility, the potentiality of each of our hearts and minds. And yet it often seems that sometimes those tastes or those glimpses are kind of like fortunate accidents. We don't quite know how they happened. And yet moments later we can be just like swept away again in, you know, the familiar territory of preoccupations or disconnection or pursuing this or that. And yet they leave a certain echo within us. And I think the great beauty of this teaching is really to remind us that those glimpses and those tastes don't need to be accidents. These are qualities that are cultivated, that are brought into being, and truthfully are brought to fruition. I think to approach the path in this way, the cultivation of the lovely, the cultivation of the ennobling, is often a kind of attitudinal shift for many of us. Because I think culturally, you know, we tend to lean a little bit towards being kind of more problem-centered. You know, what's wrong with me? You know, what, what I need to fix, what I need to get rid of, you know, what I need to improve. And it's not to suggest that this path of cultivation of the ennobling is in any way a dismissal or being dismissive towards many of the real, much of the real adversity and difficulty that we can face in our lives. But I think probably most of us recognize that the difficult and the afflictive are much more approachable in a landscape of kindness and spaciousness and balance and ease. This will be 
much of our practice is actually not about becoming a perfect meditator. Much of our practice really rests upon our willingness to embrace all things with spaciousness, with kindness, with ease, and a sense of curiosity. I know it's really possible to come into retreats with all kinds of agendas and expectations, you know, of decisions that need to be made and things that need to be solved and, you know, things that need to be fixed. And I would just like to encourage you to to consider the possibility that it may be truly a great gift to yourself this evening to let those agendas be. To let those agendas be. And, And to approach this retreat with simply that sense of curiosity, kindness, interest, a sense of being present for what is, rather than what we think should be. So this evening is very much about arriving. I mean, you might say, you know, what is she talking about? We're obviously here, you know. But quite frankly, I know very well there's a very big difference between actually having our butt planted on a cushion and actually having arrived both emotionally and psychologically and and intentionally. So being patient with that process. I also would like to welcome everyone here. It's very special to be here with all of you for me. I've been sitting in this hall as a yogi for a total of about four years, I think, 20 years ago. So it's always a a very special privilege to be able to sit up here and convey the Dharma at retreats like this one. So this is quite wonderful. In some of the Tibetan traditions, we speak of three kinds of retreats. We speak of the outer retreat, of the inner retreat, and of the secret retreat. The first, the outer retreat, refers to the fact that we move away from the busyness of our everyday lives, of work, of family, of entertainment, of all the rest. The second, the inner retreat, refers to the turning away from our, or retreating from actions of body and speech, which might be unskillful or even harmful. We stay away from distractions of all kinds and from actions or activities which are just meaningless. And the third kind of retreat refers to the calming and purifying of heart and mind, refers to the actual meditation practice. And we'll be talking about this third aspect throughout the week, of course. So the first one, the outer retreat, 
we've already accomplished by arriving here at the retreat center. We've left behind the busyness of the world and entered a kind of sanctuary, a place of quiet and of mindfulness. And for now, I would like to say more about the second kind, about the inner retreat. It's the retreating, it's the turning away from unskillful behavior. It's a very vital aspect of a retreat. It has to do with our conduct and our way of being here together. A way of being that is conducive to the cultivation of meditation, of calm, of kindness, and of insight. A way of being that is conducive to awakening. For this purpose, we all need to agree to live by certain guidelines of conduct. We need to agree on what is called the five ethical training guidelines. The first of these is not to intentionally kill or harm any living being. Whether it's big or small or even tiny beings, even unpleasant beings. It's a way of expressing and living our care and respect for all of life. Just as we don't like to suffer or to die, so do other beings not want to suffer or die. That's the first guideline. The second guideline is not to take what is not ours or what wasn't given to us, be it our roommates' belongings or neighbors or dissenters or whatever. We decide to simply not take or use anything that doesn't belong to us. Again, it's a way of being caring and respectful, respectful towards others' property. It's a way of making ourselves trustworthy and creating trust among the group. It's a wonderful gift we offer to each other. It's not to kill or harm. It's not to take what's not been given. The third guideline is not to engage in any sexual activity whatsoever during these days or nights. It's quite important to take away our attention from objects of sense desire and collect our energy and use it undistractedly for our practice. You could say it's a way of staying alone, staying by ourselves, while still being supported by this whole group. It also means, or it can mean, that we don't have to constantly pay attention to how we look, what our appearance might be, whether we look attractive or not, how this might affect others. So we're relieved from all that and 
I think it's an attitude, an inner attitude that is quite liberating and creates a lot of inner space and openness for practice. So not killing, not stealing, no sexual activity. The fourth guideline is to abstain from taking, drinking alcohol or taking intoxicants. Simply to keep our minds clear and fit for meditation seems pretty obvious. And if you're on prescription drugs, please keep taking them as prescribed, of course. That's another story. The last guideline is to abstain from speaking or expressing things that are not true. It's really the guideline or the precept of honesty. We're honest with ourselves, within. We're honest in what we say. It's essential in this practice to be honest with respect to what we see, what we experience within. Not in the sense of being critical of ourselves, not in the sense of being judgmental, but in seeing things within as they are, as they are, with a sense of kindness and with a sense of acceptance. In terms of actual speaking, there won't be too much uh, opportunity, really. Outside the interviews with us, with the teachers, and a few necessary words you might need to exchange with staff, we stay in complete silence. And this is perhaps the most important aspect here in terms of retreat, the meaning of retreat. Silence anywhere in the building, silence in the rooms, silence outside in the grounds, silence wherever you are, even out in the woods. Just really silence. I think this is especially important if you have come together with a friend or a partner, somebody close to you, especially if it's somebody who does this the first time and you sort of think, you know, how are they doing? I should maybe tell them, you know, of different things that they should pay attention to. Please don't. Please be very clear in leaving each other alone for these days we have here together to really respect the silence, even avoiding nonverbal gesturing or anything, just to really stay by oneself and trust that they will be okay. Keeping the silence is really an agreement, an agreement we all made, made even just by coming here. It's an agreement that affects each one of us and everyone in the group, and it sets the tone for this retreat to, to be a sanctuary, to become a sacred space, so to speak. And some very essential aspects in this silence are not to read, not to write, not to make phone calls, and not to use your cell phones in any way. 
We've all read thousands of books in our life. So please just leave books in your suitcase in case you brought books with you. Just leave them where they are. If you feel you would like to take a few notes during the evening talks like this one, please feel free to do so. But for the rest of the time, you know, even the morning instructions and all that, please just don't write at all. Don't write at all anywhere. But the most important point here, really, the cell phones. We all know how smart they are now these days. They can do almost anything except for cooking a decent meal so far. So we ask you not only to not use them for calls, not use them for text messages, not use them for emails, but please also don't use them for taking pictures or for surfing or, or for listening, even to Dharma talks or you know, all the stuff one can do with them right nowadays. Please turn them off completely, definitely, and leave them alone until Saturday morning, not tomorrow morning, but in seven and a half days. We promise you will survive. We promise the world will not stop. It will still be there. If you're concerned about a possible emergency at home, Maybe somebody has that concern. Please uh, leave those people at home the number of the front office here, and the front office people will let you know in case there is an emergency call. So, you know, you don't need to even look at your cells. So let's make this time here together into a real retreat. Make it into... a real retreat. Silence is a very meaningful and profound gift we offer to ourselves and to all others here. As Lao Tzu suggests, take time to listen to what is said without words, to obey the law too subtle to be written, to worship the unnameable and to embrace the unformed. Thank you, and have a wonderful retreat. So I would also like to add my welcome to to you all. And... uh, Yeah, it's just really lovely to be sitting here and uh, having the opportunity really to spend this time together as we will be doing. It's kind of funny in a way. I sort of arrived from some far distant place and in the situation being here of sort of welcoming you when in fact most of you live here and I don't. Um, and, And at the same time there's a sense that I have and that I feel very deeply of really wanting to welcome you into something that does feel to me to be home. That I know for many of you is something you also have that sense with regard to. And that can be the, uh, the physical environment of IMS. And I had the opportunity to live here a couple of years in the 90s, so I know it well and have come back quite regularly since then.
and the sense of not just the place, but the really the quality of what it is that we bring into being here, this retreat that's created not just by the forms and the frameworks that we set up, but something inside ourselves that we also bring, that brings us here, I think. And, and there's something very precious, something very beautiful. So for me, I'm, yeah, I, I like to just acknowledge that at the beginning of a retreat for myself and to share that. So much in the world these days seems to pull us, seems to pull me, and I imagine pulls you equally, towards things that don't necessarily touch my heart or really nourish my life. And sensing that really the privilege and the preciousness of coming into an environment in which there's so much support and there's so much intentionality towards that which truly does nourish, that which truly does enrich our lives. So one thing that's useful is just to have a, take a few moments perhaps in entering into a period of retreat to connect with our sense of aspiration, our sense of what it is that moves us or inspires us to be here, to have chosen to spend a week on retreat when perhaps we could have signed up for some kind of you know, a spa holiday or beach sort of vacation. And that all has its place. I'm not knocking those kind of activities. But there's a certain significance to making this choice. And for some of you, if it's the first time, I really want to say wonderful that you've come. And a lot of this might seem a little strange to begin with, but hopefully it will make sense to you in and through your own experience. We won't try and explain it all at the beginning because it's not really subject to that kind of explanation. And of course, those of you who've come uh, to these kind of situations previously or many, many times, wonderful that you've come back. The sense of knowing that sometimes it can be challenging and yet returning because there's something important, there's something precious here. So for me, that orientation, that attitude in, in coming to a retreat and taking time for this is very much about placing what is most important, what is most valuable, what is most significant or precious at the center of my intentionality, at the center of what I want to orient myself to for my life, but equally and specifically for a period of meditation retreat practice such as we have here. And in that, having placed that sense of what's important, even if it's not something we conceive or name in terms of particular qualities or hopes for our life, for our world or ourselves, we, we may have words that resonate. It may just be a sense of something that we don't put into words. But having connected with that or brought ourselves into contact with that, not then having some idea of how we have to get there or what it's going to look like. So that we really give a lot of space to the, to the intelligence, to the wisdom of life and the wisdom that's within us, though perhaps not always so available, to, to find its way into expression, into, into fruition. So that a retreat really gains a lot of its potency, not just from the meditation, but from the way we leave the space wide open. 
And that's as much what we're doing here, I would say, as the formal meditation practice, the sense of leaving the space open. And just to sense what that might be for you. If there's anything you've brought with you that you think you have to achieve in these seven days, I invite you to question whether that's so. Because maybe what we're looking for, what we most deeply are interested in, is here to be discovered, not to be produced. With the, the foundation of, of the precepts of a sense of silence and uh, that way that we come together with a, with a shared intentionality, we have the opportunity to engage in something that people such as ourselves have been doing throughout all ages of time, throughout all places in this world, to, to really look, to see what is most true, to be interested to understand what really serves the freedom, the peace, the healing and the flowering of our lives. Not presuming we already know this, but being interested because we deeply care about these things. Being interested to understand more. No matter how much we have learnt and understood in the journeys of our lives, one of the remarkable things, it seems there's always more to learn. There's always more to discover. And so, in the meditation practice that we'll be inviting and guiding you in the exploration of, there's a a sense of that potentiality of that possibility that for me feels really important to name and to kind of open the space for as we begin and as we enter into it. The practice of meditation in many ways is one of the most simple things one could imagine. There's really nothing much complicated about it. And that doesn't, however, mean that it's easy or without its layers of subtlety and its wide range of possibilities. And yet, at the heart of it, it's about simply being conscious and awake, learning what it means for us to inhabit our lives with a quality of awareness, of mindfulness, of presence that's informed by a sense of caring and interest. And we'll talk about and we'll explore together a lot of the ways that we can develop or connect with that capacity. And yet it's natural. It's really quite an organic thing. We all have this capacity to be conscious, to be awake. And we know what that means for us. Perhaps we don't yet know fully what or all of what it can offer us. So Meditation practice is about harnessing that capacity, about training that capacity, but equally about coming to understand the significance of the very fact that capacity is there at all. So there's elements that are about training and development, and there are elements that are really more about penetrating more deeply or discovering more fully the nuance and the potentiality of this very ordinary thing that's going on right now for all of us to some degree and has been throughout our whole existence.
So when we're explaining and exploring the meditative tools and practices, I feel it's really helpful and useful to hold them in that framework or perspective. This is in the service of deepening our connection with and our understanding of this ordinary organic capacity that's here within us to be awake, to be conscious, to simply know what's happening right now whatever that might be, however that might look or feel, whether we find it enjoyable and easy or confusing and difficult or painful or none of the above. So something really about honoring the truth of our lives, for me this this points to the sense of there's something in life itself that really, I, I would say in a certain way, almost wishes to be known. Now, it's kind of maybe going a little too far with that kind of phrase, but it's like there's something in us that wishes to know. And there's something that wishes to be known, we could say. We could talk about this in a lot of different ways. In the Dharma teachings, we don't necessarily feel it's most useful to always try and tie things down or nail them down in language. But more just to point and to see that the, the deeper knowing capacities we have as as has already been pointed to or spoken about a little, are qualities that aren't defined necessarily by our linguistic and conceptual intellectual functioning in the mind. That's one gateway, one avenue. But there's a a way in which we have a deeper knowing that comes out out of the very connection with our life that we can connect with, that we can develop and cultivate. And so... Meditation practice is simple in that sense of it's just about what's here and now and seeing more clearly what that is. And because in order to do that, we have to encounter the totality of our experience and the way in which we are affected by and affect everything around us in so many ways. In that way, it's, while still simple, equally at times quite challenging and certainly not something we would assume we're just going to kind of get it and know how it works and have it sort of sussed. You use that word here, sussed? I don't know if it's a word that goes in this, in this culture, but anyway. Where I grew up in New Zealand, sussed kind of means you kind of have an intuitive sense of, yeah, I just know how it is. It's like something one's really uh, felt deeply inwardly as, as understood. So... We'll come back to these, this theme and others very fully during the days. For now, what we'd like to do is have a short meditation together. And the moment I say that, what I tend to notice people doing is getting into meditation postures. Now, meditation isn't about the posture. So for those who'd like to, and you might because you've been sitting here for quite a while, if you'd like to stand up and stretch for a moment, do. But do so attentively with a sense of being in touch with your body as you do it. Because this could equally be meditation. And then when you've done what you need to do, you can sit down again.
So we'll be giving very uh, full and comprehensive meditation instructions through the days of the retreat, primarily in the morning period with the sitting after breakfast. And these instructions will unfold over the day. So for now, I'll just like to give you some very brief instructions and suggestions for beginning our retreat together and maybe particularly for those of you who may be new or relatively new to practice in this way. Just useful to take a few moments to feel your body, to sense into the physicality, sense of what it's like for you to be here right now, however your body is. Establishing a sense of uprightness without rigidity or forcing, nonetheless a sense of alertness in your posture. Feeling the ground underneath you, where your bottom, where your feet or knees rest upon the floor or the cushion or the chair. Extend it up from that ground, that contact with the earth. And at the same time relaxed, at ease. So just allowing your body to be soft. If you notice there's any particular areas of tension or tightness, you can just take a moment to gently feel them, inviting them to relax without trying to make them do so or forcing them. And in that relaxed and upright posture, just becoming aware of the experience of breathing, just as and where and however you notice that or experience it. And just letting your attention connect with and rest in that experience of breathing. As your body breathes in, as your body breathes out. And establishing that experience, that sensitivity to breathing, as a place of rest and a place to return. Whenever you may find your attention is drawn elsewhere. Without rejecting other experiences, For now, nonetheless, simply choosing to connect with this experience. Body, sitting, breathing. And so we'll sit together just for a few minutes in this way.
So we're almost done. Uh, quite aware that you've many of you travelled some distance to be here and probably had uh, full or busy, demanding days, weeks, months, or possibly years coming up to this retreat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just uh, to let you know, if you haven't already seen the schedule, that tomorrow morning there will be a wake-up bell at 6 o'clock and breakfast will be at 6.30. Uh, so the following days we'll wake a little earlier than that and have a meditation period before breakfast, but tomorrow we just thought we'd give you the chance to sleep a little longer. And uh, of course, if you're awake earlier and would like to come and meditate before breakfast, you're very welcome. But breakfast, 6.30 till 7.15, and then the work period until 8.15. And uh, if you do choose to sleep a little later, you're very welcome, but really important that you get there for that work period. Um, and it's uh, much appreciated, all the, all the service and support that comes through that. At uh, 8.15, we'll have the next sitting together. And at the beginning of that period, tomorrow and in the subsequent days, there'll be uh, instructions with regard to the meditation. So important that you're there and important that you're there on time, which is always the case, but particularly for that sitting. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll continue at that point. Um, for now, if there's anything you haven't yet done to kind of get sort of to allow yourself to land and complete if you need to contact anyone and tell them they won't be hearing from you for the next week so that you don't have to worry that they'll be worried. It's good to do that, to kind of just tidy up and uh, if you thought you might get your stuff in from the car tomorrow, kind of nice to do that today and in a way enter tomorrow as an open space, not with things you need to sort out. Likewise, if you haven't filled in any of the forms that uh, you were given when you arrived, if you came late, your registration and interview forms, great if you can do that either tonight or first thing tomorrow morning, particularly because we need your registration or interview forms in order to put you into uh, the, or organize you into the groups that will be meeting you in over the days. So, is there anything else? Does, does anyone have any questions with regard to the practical elements of what's happening from here? Okay, great. So the retreat has begun. Uh, and I would also like to really wish you a, a rich and nourishing time here. And uh, may our practice be fruitful for our own welfare, for the welfare of all beings. <laughs>